Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Transformation Church and our online family, and we're just so glad you have come this morning to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the resurrection with us today. Um, I want to tell you something. Uh, Today could be the day that changes everything for you. That's right. Just poke yourself in the chest. Today could be the day that everything changes for you. But before we jump into the scripture, and by the way, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. 23 is the big number, verse 50. The verses are the smaller numbers. Um, turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, 50. That's where we'll kind of centralize around. But before we get into that, I want to introduce you to one of our transformation families as they tell their story about how Jesus changed everything. Take a look. Me and Heather met in an emergency room parking lot because one of my friends bit my other friend's finger and ended up getting infected, and I had to go pick her and her sister up, take her home. One thing led to another. Here we are. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to my sister and Facebook. This is how this journey began. Mm. (laughs) We've been together... Four years. It'll be four years in October. Four years in October. New wedding day is August 9th. August 8th. August 8th. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> Growing up for me, um, church and Jesus was a big part of my life. Um, every Sunday we got up and went to church, me and my four sisters. Um, my oldest sister, Tiffany, ended up, you know, Marrying the, the pastor's son. I ended up playing drums in church heavily when I was 14. I mean, I, I played drums for this guy, Ryan Corbin, who was kind of like his own, you know, worship artist, if you would say, toured to different churches and stuff like that. So a heavy, heavy part of my life. Growing up, my family in church, we went to church on and off, but my grandmother read the Bible to me constantly growing up, told me stories, and um, my mom did too. I would say being addicted to heroin was my lowest low just because of where I was. At the time, I was already in a downward spiral, but once I hit there, I hit the lowest low I could be at because, you know, I lost my family, um, I lost friends, no one wanted to be around me, no one could trust me. If I was around, they think I was stealing stuff. So, I mean, right there, just losing my family in general, that would probably be, like, my lowest low. My lowest and rock bottom for me was um, when a judge took my kids from me and put me in jail for almost four months. I lost family. I lost friends. Like, Jacob, nobody trusted to have me around. In the mix of my addiction, 
I lost my grandmother, who was my everything growing up. And that was, that's the lowest I could get, is losing her, losing my kids. It was the worst. Uh, life was, you know, I was clean. I, I wasn't drugging. I wasn't, I wasn't doing all the crazy stuff. I mean, we were together. We had the kids. You know, we just kind of did it day by day. Um, but I, I guess you could say it was more or less like an empty feeling, like where do you go next? And uh, then y'all, Carl and Kirsten texted me and said, hey, you want to play drums for us one Sunday? And then that was what, a year and some change? We've been here ever since. Now we're members and loving it. Same. I mean, we were just living day by day, you know, not really, we were living, but we weren't going forward. We were just, you know, working, doing everything, but he said when y'all called and asked him to come play drums, and my first Sunday here, it was definitely a turnaround. I definitely saw something different in myself and in him after that. Um, I guess baptism here, for me, was a big deal for many reasons, you know, you know, coming back from where you started from um, and doing a complete circle, finally, like, getting somewhere that you thought you'd never be. And then, two, to have the man baptize me that kind of was there when all of, like, when the downward spiral started, like, I was full circle, man. Like, I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. And, you know, I, I got my other sister back, Kirsten. I got my second family back. I mean, Ever since the baptism here, man, just like everything's changed for the good. Definitely. Ever since we've been baptized, it's just like things just seem to be falling in place. And I mean, it was definitely an emotional day for me because um, it was something my grandmother always wanted for me to do. And so, I mean, being able to do that for my mom and for myself and my kids and to be able to prove to my family that I have changed, it was huge. I would say God is restored my happiness and uh, my family being close. I'm closer now than I ever was with my family, so it's a good thing. Yeah, restored definitely happiness, my self-esteem, um, and brought my family and friends back that I missed for so long, and yeah. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. Wow. What an incredible story of how Jesus can change everything. I'm so thankful for Jacob and Heather kind of sharing that with us just to show to you that Jesus really can change everything in your life. Hence, the title of today's message, This Changes Everything. Now, many of us have experienced throughout our lives um, times and seasons and events that have that we would even say this is going to change things, um, and we can think of discoveries and inventions. Um, and just to just to list a few, uh, fire, uh, the Earth uh, that revolves around the sun. When these things were discovered, it changed how we were operating. Even finding out the Earth was round and not flat. <laughs> now I, I know there are some of you watching today that are flat earthers. And so listen, this is a, a safe place for you, and we love you. Um, 
but you're just wrong, okay? The earth is round. Science is against you. And uh, so if, if some of you are already clicking off, but don't do it. Don't do it. Hang around. We love you. We love you. But listen, the earth is round. And so that discovery changed how people were operating and uh, moving because they knew they wouldn't fall off the end of the earth. The uh, printing press, electricity, uh, and the light bulb. Can you imagine being in that room when the first light bulb came on? It changes things. It changes things. Um, the airplane, the automobile, um, the world um, wars, uh, World War I, World War II, and even the atomic bomb. I mean, this changed how people operated. And even as recent, as the 1950s when they started working on computers and the internet started becoming very prevalent in the home in the 80s and 90s. A lot of you were around for that and praise God for it because that's how you're receiving the message today. Um, but it changed things. It changed how people operated. And even on a, on a maybe heavier note, many of us will remember September 11th. 2001. I remember being in my classroom and watching the television as terrorists threw, flew planes into the, the Twin Towers and they fell. And many of you may have known folks that were there or, or have been affected by that. Man, we, we remember it vividly. And we said, man, this, this is going to change things. And if you've walked into an airport, you know it completely flipped on its head airline travel and security around that. Now, for today, what we're facing is, is the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, churches and communities will remember when we had to shut down, whole societies came screeching to a halt, people losing their lives as this thing spread, this is going to change things. It's going to change how people prepare, how they live. It's going to change how they view health concerns. So personally, there may be some of you that have walked through maybe a marriage or you remember the birth of your kids or graduating from college or high school or maybe you remember someone dear to you dying the joys and the sorrows of life. Things, uh, those things that have happened of which you and I have said, and this is going to change things. Now, that brings me to three stories I want to tell you very quickly from Scripture. Because yes, those change different aspects of how we live our lives, but what I'm about to tell you about today is something that will change everything from the inside out about your life. And the very first story, you don't have to turn there, but keep your thumb in Luke 23, is in Mark chapter 5. It's a story right uh, starting at verse 25 about a woman, and I'll read it here to you. A woman in the crowd, and just to give you a little background, Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Jairus had come to Jesus and said, hey, my daughter's sick. Can you heal her? And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come. So he's on his way. He's traveling there. And there is a massive crowd around him. So listen to the story. 
Verse 25 of Mark 5. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years. Say it with me. 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. In fact, she had gotten worse. Uh, She had spent everything she had to try and get better, and she had gotten worse. So just picture her. She's been dealing with this medical issue for 12 years. She's gone broke trying to fix it and gotten worse in the process. Doctors have not been able to fix it. But she had heard that Jesus was making his way through the town, and she said to herself, if I can but get close enough to him to touch the hem of his clothes, or what the Bible says is his robe. He was wearing a robe. If I can just touch that hem, I know I'll be healed. And so as Jesus is making his way, he's done all these miracles. This tight, monstrous crowd is around him. This woman fights through the crowd, touches the hem of his robe, and is instantly, just like that, healed of her 12-year infirmity. Just like that, she was healed. Now, she felt it instantly, but so did Jesus. Jesus felt something happen, and so he looks at his disciples, and he said, who touched me? And his disciples were caught off guard by this. In fact, they said, what are you talking about? Do you not see this huge crowd around you? There's tons of people touching you. And and Jesus looked at them and said, no, someone touched me differently. I felt virtue is what the Bible says, leave my body. I felt healing, leave my body. And so this woman climbs out in front of him, falls to his feet in worship, tells him what has happened. And he looks at her, and I love what he says here in verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Man, I don't know who's suffering today, but this story is so encouraging to me because Jesus changed everything. The new normal she was fighting was all of a sudden gone. The whole trajectory of her life, instead of trying to find more money and more doctors, everything changed when she came in contact with Jesus. Now, she probably left that experience saying, man, this is going to change everything. Just a page over We see another story in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 35. Jesus has been teaching his, um, he kind of pushed back in the boat because there were so many people there. And it it was kind of getting late in the day. And so his disciples, uh, starting in verse 35, is late in the afternoon. His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why don't we just kind of, Pack up shop for today. Let's let these people go back to their homes so they can eat. It's late. They need to eat. Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. You feed them. Now, let me just paint a picture of this crowd. Imagine a coliseum or a major um, event park or something like that. There are close to 25 estimates of 25 to 30,000 people. The Bible says 5,000 men and their families. So this is no just backyard barbecue. This is a huge gathering of folks. So when he said, you feed them, 
rightly, the disciples respond with, with what, they asked um, in verse 37. We have to work for months to earn enough money uh, to buy food for all these people. That's how many people were there. They would have to work for months to do it. Jesus, just to paraphrase, Jesus said, well, how much do we have? And they said, well, we've got five loaves and we've got these two fish. And so Jesus said, bring them to me. Jesus took them. He blessed them. He, he said his prayer over the meal and began to serve up fish sandwiches, bread, fish, and they began to serve all these groups of 50 to 100 people. And this is what's crazy. What's wild is there's just bread and fish that keeps coming um, to the point that in verse 42, we see that it says they all ate as much as they wanted. Now, look, I'm a church boy from way back. So I've been eating in church, if you can't tell, my entire life. And one thing we at church are good at is eating until we feel good about it. That's the type of eating. They weren't rationing. They weren't just trying to get by. No, 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 no. When Jesus provided, he provided so that everybody had as much as they wanted, even to the point that we see uh, at the latter part here in verse 43. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. This changes everything, and I'll tell you why. The disciples kept coming back to serve more and more food, and they had to keep saying to themselves, man, we would have had to work for months to provide this. We would have had to um, spend everything we had. There's no way we could have resourced or been the source for this. But hear me today, Jesus was the unemptying source of food for that entire crowd. Now listen, he fed them not only spiritually that day, he fed them physically, and the disciples would have to stand back. I know if I was there, I would have to stand back and say, this changes everything. I've been going to all different sources and things to to try and provide, but all I need is in Jesus. That changes things. And then lastly... If we flip over to the book of John, there's this incredible story about a guy named Lazarus. Now, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were friends of Jesus. And um, the story goes, it's 44 verses long, so I won't read the whole thing. But just to paraphrase, um, Lazarus got sick. Mary and Martha, his sisters, knowing they were close to Jesus sent word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. We're afraid he's going to die. And Jesus gets word, and we see here in verse 4 of John 11, it says, um, when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God, Jesus, will receive glory from this. Now, this is just a separate sermon, but I, I don't know who's listening. But whatever you're walking through today, I can assure you that God can take any situation 
and use it for his glory. He can use it all to take our eyes and point and redirect and shift us towards him. And that's indeed the case here. Jesus hears, he says, you know what, we're going to stay a couple days. So they stayed a couple more days. Um, and then Jesus finally said, hey, let's go to Judea. Now, rewind a little bit. They had just recently gotten kicked out of Judea violently, um, almost killed. They, were, they ran, really, from Judea. And Bethany, where Lazarus lived, is right there in Judea. So Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. Um, and his disciples are like, yeah, I don't know about that. They're going to stone us if we get there. And so Jesus replied and said, yeah, no, we're going. Um, and then he said in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will now go and wake him up. Now, the disciples didn't realize that Jesus was talking about the fact that he's dead and he's about to wake up a dead man. And, and I just, aside from this, let me tell you, my prayer this week has been that whoever watches this today, that there would be those who, have, who don't know Jesus, who want to know Jesus, and that you would be woke up to him today. That his Holy Spirit would be drawing you to him and that praise God, you can, Jesus can come to you and take you from dead in Christ to alive in Christ. He will wake us up. Now, they get there. Mary and Mar Martha runs out first. He calls for Mary. They both basically say the same thing, which is, why weren't you here? Have you ever asked God that? Why weren't you here? And Jesus said, um, show me where he's at. Because basically they're, they're wondering, if you had been here, they said it, um, he wouldn't have died if you had been here. And so Jesus um, is led to where Lazarus is in the grave. And the crowd, there's a crowd there kind of mourning with Mary and Martha. And the, the emotions are running high. Because their, their friend, their family member has, has died. And for Mary and Martha, their brother has been dead. And he's not just, just died. He's died four days earlier. He's dead, dead. He's, he's been gone. And they're in mourning. And they're upset. But in fact, Jesus, this is where we see Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And indeed, they, he proves that to be true because... Um, we also find, he says, um, Scripture tells us in verse 35 that Jesus wept. So the emotions are so high that even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, Jesus still had compassion. Jesus has compassion for you today, even though he knows. Let me tell you something. He feels and has felt what you feel. You are not alone in how you feel. And so this is the craziest thing. This is wild. Jesus goes to the grave and looks at the grave where Lazarus is, where, where his body, his dead body has been laid. He's been wrapped up in grave clothes. They wrapped his face with a cloth because he's been dead now for four days. And he begins to speak to a dead man. Now, let me tell you something. If me and you go to the local cemetery and uh, you start screaming at, at a dead person to come back, to come out of the grave, that may land you 
in a padded room somewhere. They would probably lock me up too. But Jesus had performed some, some incredible miracles before. And so they're watching and they're waiting. And Jesus speaks to death. Speaks to a dead man. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And this is a mind-blowing verse. Look at this. In 44. And the dead man came out. Nuts. In fact, he came out and it says that his hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. He's hopping out of the grave and the face cloth is still over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. For the onlooker, for the person watching, for Mary and Martha, and even just a few verses later, Jesus travels back and has dinner with Lazarus. He didn't just heal him. He healed him all the way. He brought him back to life and has dinner with him later on that week. Is that not, this changes things. To believe Jesus is who he said he was changes things. Because now this guy, Jesus, who proclaims to be the Son of God, speaks to death, and death obeys. Yes, the wind obeys him, the, the waves obey him, but he speaks to death, and dead people come back to life. This changes things. Which lands us to today. The reason for today. Now, um, Easter is a specific event. And I know it's kind of got wrapped up in bunnies and eggs, which, look, my daughter may take some bunny pictures and may take some pictures with some eggs. I'm not anti-candy and fun. But I just want you to know, Easter isn't about that. In fact, it's not really even about the life of Jesus um, or his uh, dying. It's about his resurrection, a very specific event that we find here in Luke 23. Um, and what we're going to find here very quickly as we read through, and I, I want you to read with me. Um, starting in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. We'll read together. Now there was a good and righteous man. This is the story of the resurrection. Named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was born from the town of Arimathea. You've probably heard him called Joseph of Arimathea in Judea. And he was, excuse me, he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So this guy, Joseph, he was in the elite of the religious group, but he did not agree with killing Jesus because the Bible tells us he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He saw something in Jesus. And so he had enough clout. The Bible says right here in 52, he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. This was done <clears throat> late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. Verse 55, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they finished, the Sabbath had begun. 
So they rested as required by law. Keep following in verse 24. But very early on Sunday morning, just note here, in Jewish culture, Sabbath was from dawn to dawn. Uh, So Sabbath wasn't over on Saturday night. It was dawn the next morning. The women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. They went in, and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone, watch this, who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he, uh, what he had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples, because we learned last week that Thomas was not there, <clears throat> and everyone else, what had happened. Verse 10 of 24. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Now, this is, this is wild. Watch this. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to look, stooping. He peered in and saw the empty linen linen wrappings. Then he went home again, pay attention to this, underline it, wondering what had happened. So let me clarify something. Um, they didn't expect him to resurrect. Okay, you look at all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You would think, so for any uh, skeptics out there, you would think if, if, if Christians were going to fabricate this story, they would try and paint some type of hero into this story. But let me tell you something, there are no heroes outside of Jesus in this story. Um <clears throat> Because they saw him die. They saw him bleed. They saw him die. They saw him put in a grave. So what did they do? They went home. And now, so don't don't picture like it was New Year's for the disciples. They weren't so big on faith and so aware of what was going on that they went back home and they were just setting up celebrations. And um, it wasn't a countdown. It wasn't like 10 Nine, three, two, here he comes, he's coming. No, there were no heroes. In fact, all you see in verse five, um, I'm sorry, that's verse four. It says, the women stood at the tomb and they were puzzled. They had watched him do all these things and they were puzzled. Even Peter walked home after seeing the empty grave clothes and wondered what had happened. Jesus then, later on, appeared to the disciples in the room. We read stories where he came through locked doors to um, appear to them and proved something to them. Jesus proved he is who he said he is. And I said that right because he is who he says he is even to this day. 
Um, Peter, later on in Acts 2, we see Peter, um, if you want, you can turn there. Peter preaches this incredible message, and uh, starting in verse 22 of Acts 2, and, and says, basically, people of Israel, you saw him. He, God proved himself through his son, through miracles and signs and wonders, and you nailed him to a cross. You nailed him to a cross. We see in verse 32, God raised, of Acts 2, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. We're all witnesses of this. And then Peter even points to uh, the personal nature of salvation. Later on in 36, he says, so let everyone in Israel know. Now look, this is crazy. This is crazy. He could have lost his life saying something like this to the Jewish folks in town. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Savior. So each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you. Listen, if you've fallen asleep on your couch, I need you to wake up. I need you to sit up in your seat because this changes everything. I had a debt I couldn't pay. What do I mean by that? I, there's nothing I could do to pay for my sins. On the cross, Jesus provided payment for our sins. And in his resurrection, he provided new life to us, to you and me. Listen today. Listen very carefully. I don't know where you're at in life, but I know one thing. Jesus can change everything. Jesus being who he said he is changes everything. He can conquer your fears. He can um, put to bay, uh, put at bay your doubts. He can forgive you of your sins. He cares for you. He, we serve a God who is not dead, but He is alive and well, and still to this day making a difference in my life. I can remember the moment He saved me. I can remember the moment I surrendered my life to the Lord. Today can be that day for you. In just a moment, we're going to pray and take communion together. But listen, as we get ready to pray this morning, if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring in you, this is your time. This is your moment. I just want to take just a couple minutes to pray for you. And I'll tell you why. Um, Jesus changed everything in my life. And I remember the moment that I declared Jesus the Lord of my life. And I'm telling you, it changed everything. So if throughout this message you have felt the Lord stirring within you, you felt something shifting inside, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Lord. So I want you to say this prayer with me. I want you to mean it from your heart um, because you today, Jesus can change everything for you. 
And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, today is the day. Don't delay it another moment. Would you pray with me? Father, I realize that I am a sinner and that I am in need of your forgiveness. Today, would you forgive me of my sins? I believe you died. I believe you rose again to give me new life. So this moment, I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. I give you complete control. Help me to walk closer to you. Draw me near to you. And I'll trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, if you said that prayer, man, I'm so excited for you. And and I'm so excited that I want to walk on this journey with you. And in the description or the comments, you're going to see a link for a Connect card. I want you to fill that out with your information because we have something we want to send you to help you start this journey Um, So fill it out with your information and just say, I made a decision for Christ. Now, for those of us who know Christ, man, I hope today's message was encouraging for you. And I want to take just a moment to remember his sacrifice, to remember that you and I, uh, there was a price paid for us. And so what we find is before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, Jesus was having his last Supper. And now's the time, if you've gathered your communion supplies, that we're going to take communion together as the family of God. Now, if you just accepted Christ, you can do this too. Now, if you're a visitor and, and you're still checking out Jesus, you're still checking out transformation, you're trying to decide where to land here, um, don't feel like this is something for you. In fact, I would tell you, just kind of watch and observe what's about to happen. This is for Um, those who know the Lord and have chosen to follow him as a time to remember what he did for us on the cross. Um, As they gather together for his last supper before he would be crucified to pay the ransom for you and I, the Bible says in the book of Luke that he took the bread, so grab whatever bread you have, and he broke it and he said, This is going to be my body that's broken for you. So wherever you're at right now, go ahead and partake of the bread. Now, at the same table and at the same time, he grabbed the cup. So grab whatever cup that you have found today. It resembles... um, It's just going to uh, represent something. And what Jesus said it represents, he said, this cup represents the new covenant that I am making with you. That this represents the blood I'm about to shed for you, to atone for your sins, to pay the ransom for you. This represents that new covenant of grace and mercy. You may drink. God, we remember your sacrifice today. And as we get ready to close this service, 
I pray that those watching would leave encouraged, leave closer to you than ever before. And as we remember your sacrifice today, we celebrate that that wasn't the end, but the beginning because you rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and the grave. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.